This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Back of the Nest. Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. I'm Chris Hambling and I'm here to guide you through our review of the 1-0 victory against Watford at Selhurst Park. I'll introduce you to my panel in just a moment. No paywall, no subscription. Back of the Nest. Fan-created podcasts, videos and articles. Free forever. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Right, let's talk to my panel. First up, Mr. Mike Scott. Hello, Mike. Yeah, all right. Yeah, not too bad yourself. Yeah, I, I didn't get to go to the game yesterday due to uh childcare issues so i watched it on the tv and i missed out on stuff you know the, the whatsapp messages about meeting in the craft beer cabin two hours before that kind of thing so i'm just making my peace with not doing that yesterday yeah i was um in a similar boat in the sense that i was talking to someone at work about my weekend plans and they thought i was insane for going to the match um, because of the fact that I have the power of type 2 diabetes as well as uh, high blood pressure. And they said, you know, aren't you worried about, you know, your increased risk of death if you get the coronavirus? And that got in my head a little bit, I'll be completely honest with you. Um, so disappointingly, I um, I chose not to make the trip, watch the game in full, of course, via our completely legal means, um, but gutted, absolutely gutted not to be there. Anyway, uh, let's crack on DR Kernas. Hello. Hello. You right? Yeah, let's have a conversation, Amber. What is your problem? <laughs> <laughs> let's have a conversation about anything. You're using a microphone that's making your voice sound sort of deep and manly, which is which is the first time that's ever happened. Is it? Mm-hmm. I'm not changing my voice. The mic is the same as well. Uh, and let's talk with our final member of the panel. It's Cy Pizzi. Hi, Cy. Hi, Dean, you're right. I'm glad I'm so glad you're actually alive and didn't go to the match. My advice, my medical advice paid off and you're still here. Yeah, you were one of uh, of about three people who said actually, yeah, probably probably a good idea not not to go. I think the large proportion of the back of the nest group seemed to want me to go, and that makes me concerned that I might not be quite as popular as I thought I was. <laughs> mm, anyway. 
Right, we'll crack on with the show. Uh, so just a quick um, update. We have been doing a vote of late uh, via our social media channels, um, looking at putting together a team of the decade, if you like. Now, just for those, the pedantic people who have understandably commented that the decade is only a couple of months old, we mean you know, essentially 2009 to the end of 2019. And um, first up, we were looking at goalkeepers, and the votes are in. Um, substantially over a thousand votes in um, and the well the competition for the goalkeeper place was between the legendary Julian Speroni and the wonderful Vicente sorry Vicente Guaita um, I was quite surprised that you know the vote went the way it did and I'm don't know if I want to tease the result or just start start opening it out to the guys talking. But now let's let's crack on. It was Julian Speroni who took the vote with fifty seven percent. That's six hundred and ninety three votes. Vicente, Vicente Guaita five hundred and one votes, forty three percent. You know, from my perspective, I don't want to be disrespectful to a legend, but I actually I do have to say I think I think Vicente Guaita is probably the slightly better keeper. But peak Speroni runs in very very close. What do you think, dear? You're crazy. Um, that's what my initial thought is. Jules, over, like Vicente, we love Vicente for what he's done right now. But just think of all the big moments that Jules has come up. I mean, in I'm talking about playoff uh, final, the playoff game against Brighton, the semi-final. Like it just has to be Jules for me. I mean, I love Vicente, but Jules' love cannot be matched, unfortunately. It comes down to whether you're voting with your head or your heart on this. Really, I mean. In terms of quality capers, Vicente, I would say, takes it. Um, but obviously, if you're thinking about classic memories over the decades, Baroni's going to take it. I mean, for me, it would be Wayne Hennessy every time, but he wasn't He wasn't in the list. So, <laughs> Yeah, for some reason, he, he didn't quite make the list there. But there's going to be controversy over who makes the list and who doesn't, I think. Um, and we'll talk about the next vote in just a sec. But, Si, your opportunity to weigh in with your opinion. I would have gone for Vicente. I can't say his name probably, but I would have gone for Vicente. Um, definitely in terms of his technical ability. But, you know, like Mike said, it's over head over heart. But I would have gone Vicente for sure. It's quite easy. Vicente, isn't it? <laughs> it's not, I mean, it's difficult not to say V, isn't it? Because that's it's spelt with a V. Um, but there you go. So next up, the vote will be left back. And I immediately questioned this when producer Mikey informed me but then when you actually start thinking about it the the options are quite limited so it's for left back and it's Pap Suare versus Patrick Van Arnholt so there you go um keep an eye out on the socials for your opportunity to vote in that and we'll cover that next week but um that's an interesting one I think I think I know which way that's going to go but you, you can never quite tell obviously people who didn't make it Dean Moxie Johnny Parr um Jairo Riedeveld, I guess. Uh, Jeff Schlupp um, also played left back. And obviously Florian Morange could play there, but um, his one appearance against Bristol City wasn't quite enough to get him in the in the running, unfortunately. So a quick reminder, we are um, going to direct you to the Pitch Sport, Pitch Sport Football app, um, who are sponsoring us at the moment. Check out their app. Um, just easiest way, jump on Google, Google Pitch Sport Football, and you'll see uh, an option to download the app. Join us on there. Uh, if you want to add me on there, my code is K-U-G-K-U-T, Cut. Not sure why, and dangerously close to a swear. So again, I'm slightly concerned about my popularity. Um, but one of the things we do on there 
is uh, there's a fan time question of the week, uh, usually from Mr. Dr. Kernaz. What's this week's question, Dr? Oh, you put me on the spot, but it's about Roy Hodgson and him signing the contract extension uh, for another year. Are fans happy with that decision? Because I know that leading up to it, some people don't still want Roy at the club, despite where we are. And if you had to sum up Roy with one word, Roy's managerial career at Palace, what would it be so far? Roy. Um, okay, that's probably not the idea. Um, but yeah, if you want to jump on that app, you can uh, send a video response back. Uh, John Salako usually chimes in with a video as well on there, um, sometimes in response to DR, uh, sometimes with a question of his own. So get involved as it, it builds momentum and popularity. And Yeah, it's um, yeah interesting. Certainly, I like picking my team each week and getting getting put through the mill on Twitter as a result once I publish it. But everyone's got different opinions. It's always good to get the conversation going. Uh, most importantly on there, you get an opportunity to give some some scores for the manager and the team um, after the games. And uh, those stats will get brought together and we'll look to use those in the show in future episodes so we can talk about people's reactions and feelings after games, which is going to be great. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, of course, you can always send us a voice message on WhatsApp. The number is 0203. 575-1266. Socials, Instagram is at Back of the Nest CPFC. Twitter, at Back of the Nest. Facebook is Back of the Nest. YouTube is also Back of the Nest. And you can always email us, hi at backofthenest.com. Get your reviews in on your chosen podcast app. Five stars, please. Nice comments. Help us spread the word of the show and get more listeners and get, get more content from you, which is great. Although we already have way too much, I have to say, for us to actually deal with, unless you want five-hour-long podcasts, which, you know, let us know. Anyway, time to crack on for the first topic. We've got a couple of little talking points, as well as the game review in this first discussion. And I think we have to start with uh, the theme that DR's gone with with his question of the week in the Pitch Sport Football app. And that is the contract extension for Roy Hodgson. It's been signed. Um, You know, got to be honest... (laughs) Three weeks ago, three games ago, um, my reaction would probably be a bit different, but obviously wins do a lot for your confidence and your belief. And it's a lot easier to sort of take the the, the approach that we have to games when we're putting three points and on the board every time and, and getting clean sheets. So, you know, I'm I'm a lot more at peace with that than I am. I think it's um, it'd be stupid not to give him that opportunity. But the most important thing has got to be to back him in the window. You're right about the timing, absolutely excellent. I mean, it came out before the, the third victory, but that, that's only helped things. Um, put out a tweet in the week, um, hell of a lot of replies to it. Only going to quote a couple. Going to get one from Gordon Bennett, if that is indeed your real name, Gordon. Uh, he gets the best out of a limited group of players and is pretty much guaranteed to keep a team up. The contract extension, as opposed to a new contract, probably says more about what little money will be available this summer. The owners just want to be able to sell a Premier League club. Now, I'm not, I, I was with you right up until the last sentence there, Gordon. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Extension um, means probably the same wages. Um, so that's that's great. Um, perhaps makes it a bit low, less money to pay out if he's sacked. Um, and they keep getting the best out of a limited group of players. Well, he has certainly been doing that recently. I think it's excellent news. I've made no secret that I'm a massive Roy fan and I've taken a lot of abuse on Twitter for being so. I think with him, you, you don't go down. You know, It's not exactly exciting football, we all know that, but I think he'll get us 40 points a season. And for me, as a Palace fan, that, that's all I'm looking for. Now, I know that's not ambition, but surviving. I spent most of my life watching Palace 15th to 
18th in the championship or division one at the time. But so seeing them now, that same position in the Premier League, I'll settle for that. Ken, as you've not put your hand up, but I want your views. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I've, I've been pro Roy even through the hard times because I just don't see another manager coming in with the circumstances that we're in right now. It's not really the way when I say circumstances, it's not like we're in a really bad position. Um, I mean, we're still a solid Premier League club, but in terms of the last couple of transfer windows, we haven't had the backing that we needed. So I, I think having Roy at the club, as um, Sai uh, si said, um, he, he will keep us up in the Premier League, which is the most important thing, until we get new owners, uh, which seems like it is going to happen at some point, um, as American owners do seem like they want out of the club. So until then, I want Roy in at the club. But as you said, Chris and Mike, and basically every other Paddy's fan, <laughs> that we need to improve the quality in the summer and we need to actually go and back him because it seems like we have been taking the liberties and using Roy as an advantage um, since he had joined the club because we haven't given him the funds enough. And he might not be a long-term uh, man for the future, but still, he needs to still build a squad around. We still need a right-back. We still need to improve quality up front. And if you're going to give this man another extension, then make sure that you deliver it as well. Yeah, look, and he's got to be on board with the fact that the club's got to build for a future without him as well. And I'm not necessarily saying I doubt that, but at times I have to say that, that it's felt that way um, in some of the decisions that have been made over whether or not to sign certain players. But, you know, I suppose that's part of backing the manager as well, just ex- accepting his decisions, whether you think they're they're right or not. Um I don't know. For me, a lot depends on, on how we, we finish this season because, you know, we're in a position now where, let's face it, 39 points, we, we are safe. Um, we're not going to pick up zero points for the rest of the season. I don't think that's a controversial opinion. We've got some tough games for certain, but, you know, I don't see us being in any danger whatsoever of going down. So that really should take a little bit of the pressure off in how we're approaching certain games. I don't think Roy's going to dramatically change, but... You know, let's hope. I mean, what personally I hope to see is just that little bit more of taking a risk here and there, not you know accepting a defeat if it's you know if we're if we're one nil down and struggling to create chances. You know, being proactive and similarly just being proactive when we're on topping games. Um, you know, particularly if it's sort of nil nil around the seventy minute mark, actually doing something, not just swapping like for like and hoping fresh legs will do it, but just you know making a tactical change, getting an extra player up front when we have that security that. You're not going to drop out of the division. That could be the difference between, you know, a, a decent season and an unbelievable season, given how tight the table is and, and the situation with Man City in Europe. You never know what you could achieve if you if you take a few more risks. Well, speaking of getting the extra person up front, um, let's uh, let's discuss a certain man going back to Everton. Yeah, yeah, very disappointing. Um, you know, DR, probably no one more disappointed than you, uh, seeing Cenk um, get injured and, and go home. Devastating for him, obviously, but obviously not great for your, your home nation in the Euros either. Yeah, everyone is going down. Um, we're getting injury news every week. So, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it hasn't been good. But in terms of Cenk himself, it seemed like he, 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 found, he found a place at Palace, it seemed like. He, he found a place where the fans... At, at the start, I'll be honest, not everyone was behind him for some odd reason. I know that he hasn't really proved it in the Premier League, but the, his reception at the club was, I think, at times just by some fans, just inappropriate. But he came to the club, he scored a goal against City, and it seemed well. I mean, we haven't, we didn't see really see much of him. It seems like we only watched a game or two of him, but 
there was something there that could have worked in the future, maybe. And the fact that he's picked up a knee injury really sums up our luck. I mean, who do we have up front now? That's another problem. Connor Wick can run out on loan. So, God forbid, let's say, let's say that something happens to Benteke or Jordan Ayew. What are you going to do then? And the question is, does that do we sign him now? Because I know he was the main part of our summer transfer plans from what Paris said in his interview. I don't know if we can sign him now. So the key question will be, you know, who, who else do we go for? Well, I don't think we're going to spend the best part of 20 million quid on someone who's got an ACL injury. In fact, we, we pulled out the, the deal, I can't remember the guy's name now, Kuame, is it? Um, who ended up going to Fiorentina. We were, had a 16 million quid deal agreed for him. And he did his ACL and we, and we pulled out of that deal. So I can't see us wanting to sign an injured player and then that opens opens the, the door for someone else to come in because we've absolutely got to sign a forward. I just wanted to ask whether you think we've discussed Cenk Tosin more on here than he's actually played minutes for Palace. Well, that is an interesting and surprising question, Mike. Um, I think probably true. And it's not really necessarily his fault, obviously. He did get an injury fairly early on before this pretty serious injury. Uh, couldn't play against Everton due to the loan, um, even if he had been fit. And then obviously, as we'll probably no doubt talk about, Benteke had something of a, has had something of a return to form of late. So, you know, it was great to have him there pushing for that place and, and bringing other people's performances up because he was there, you know, fighting to start games. Um, and, and without him, I just hope those performance levels don't drop. Reviews, predictions, comments and rants. Send us your voice clips on WhatsApp. 0203 575 1266. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Right, let's talk about the game itself. Uh, obviously, a 1-0 victory. And I suppose, we, you know, let's start a little bit talking about the lineup. Um, the interesting part for me, really, is not so much the fact that, we, you know, we've persisted with with the same team. Um, obviously, McCarthy recovered from his, his, his hamstring doubt, um, picked up in the Brighton game, went off at half-time. Um, so I had a slight feeling before the game that Luca might come back in for McCarthy, but he didn't, and you know McCarthy did have a, a very strong game. But I'm interested in, in your views on the centre backs, gentlemen, because right now Dan and Cahill are playing absolutely out of their skin. Cahill is pretty much first name on the team sheet in there, but Scott Dan seems to work incredibly well with him, and, and now having had a run of games, we're starting to see the kind of form that he showed when he first joined us and a player that we were potentially looking to sell in the window and came quite close to leaving um, is now looking like an absolute godsend to that to that back line. Um, and now we've got 
obviously Kelly's on the bench and Sacco and Tompkins completely not in the squad, you know, both now back fit. Although I think it would probably be a bit early for Tompkins, but you know, would you, would you be dropping either of those to bring, bring either of those players back in? No way. Um, I'm a advocate for making sure that if you have played well, then that's your spot until you lose it basically. And both of them have been fantastic. First of all, you don't drop Gary Cahill because of his leadership skills and his footballing ability. So he's in there. And the only real questionable one is Scott Dan. And he has been playing well next to Gary Cahill. So there's no need. And it's the first time uh, since March 2017 that we've won three consecutive games without conceding um, a goal. So it shows that we're clearly doing something right. There's no point changing it. We're winning games, not conceding. Carry on. The man of the match poll we run on Twitter uh, straight after the game, um, I I chose the four fairly arbitrarily because there was about eight that could have gone in there. Cahill, McCarthy, Ben Teke and IU were the three I went with. IU ended up with 45% of the votes, but we asked people to comment um, on their players of the match below. We'll get to Hambo's uh, point of view on that shortly. But a fair few people went with Scott Dan, um, not least Neil Ogilvy. Sorry, I've not pronounced your name right there, Neil. Ogilvy, sure. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Scott Dan was outstanding, has to be there. Um, a couple of others saying he was, you know, as decent as Kale Martin saying that. Um, so it'd be very hard to drop him. Um I sat and avoided work in the office uh, by watching the under-23s game the other day um, that Sacco played in. And, I mean, it is hard to tell because it, it's pretty much a non-contact game. You know, there's no tackling. But he did not look like he was match fit. So, um, he, he may have been available um, in spirit, but um, didn't look to me as though he, he, he would have played through 90 minutes. For me, Dan's got the shirt until he either mucks up or gets injured and, you know, you know Given the injury he's had, it, it, he might, it might get pick up a knock in the next few weeks, but he's been brilliant. And it just shows you when we do actually sign players in transfer markets, you don't have to spend loads of money. Coyote, Tompkins, Cahill on a free, some proper quality players we've had there and we haven't actually paid much for them at all. Well, in terms of wages, though, uh, just a quick question that came out to my head. What do we do with Saka? I mean, he's got the ability when he's fit, but he hasn't been fit for a while. I wouldn't class him as fit for this season. So he's basically missed this season. Um, and you're paying a lot of money for a player like his calibre. And then when you look at the options, it was not only Saka that was on the bench. We've got James Tompkins there. And then within it, I mean, where do you go from there as a club? Would you get rid of Saka or would you keep him? Well, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I think probably to free up wages, we'd probably like, you know, well, we'll certainly entertain bids if you like, but, well, then, you know, is he interested in signing a new deal to keep a value? I, I don't. It's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because... You know, the club will obviously like to get some sort of return on the money we paid out, um, especially given his injury record. But you know, those are the tough choices, and and I, my gut feeling is that we'll try to sell him in the summer. Um, and if someone's prepared to take on at least a fair chunk of his wages, um, that that will happen. But if we can't sell him, um, and he and he looks to run his contract down you know, the club will pr- probably have to try to get him to sign a new deal on potentially reduced wages to try and protect some sort of the value there. But um, a tricky one. I, I can see him leaving at the end of his contract on a free, if I'm completely honest, because the tough point about anyone signing him is the, the type of club that might take a risk on a, on a fairly injury-prone but incredibly, you know, talented footballer. Um, it's probably not going to want to risk the kind of money that it will take to, you know, certainly the kind of money we're paying him. 
Spot on. The only way anyone's going to put 120 grand up is if they're not paying any initial um, signing fee. So I can't see it happening otherwise. So one of the things that Roy said in the post match, and I have to say, listening to Roy in the post match, I think I think the the run, so the fact that the pressure's off and, and the run that we've had has allowed him to kind of relax a bit, little bit, and be a little bit less defensive. Because I really felt that his comments were refreshingly honest. It's rare that he will talk about too much sort of negativity in the performance, even if it's been a bad performance. But he was quite open and said, you know, we we weren't at our best against Watford. And I think that kind of went by the wayside because the fact we won and and how much I hate them. And it was interesting that, you know, the moment he said that, I was just taken aback a little bit. But he was right, you know, particularly in the first half, we, we sort of struggled with our passing sort of immensely. But we're certainly looking more resilient in my view. So even though we were struggling with that passing, I felt that this, the higher energy and this, the higher press that we've we've had in the last few games, that's for me, has been a massive factor in our good form. So a lot of people are talking about these results and talking about Roy and saying, you know, it's just a matter of time and we have to be patient with him and getting players back. But I genuinely believe that's not the whole truth. I think the, the bigger story is the fact that we have changed something. Tactically, we've changed something to our approach to the first halves. You know, Roy and the staff have, have noticed the same problems we were talking about and have taken steps to deal with it. And I want to get your views on that, gents, if you agree. Well, I mean, we lost to Watford three times last season, which, you know, most managers don't even get the opportunity to lose to a team three times. Um, so this would have been huge for Hodgson because um, if, you, if you lose to a team four times in a row, you know, other teams are not stupid. They're gonna they're gonna use Watford's tactics, which you know they they would they definitely have in the last few months anyway. The old shithousery tactics. Um, so for it to have been a fourth time, I think it, it would have been quite damaging for him. So I would imagine he was more relieved about this result than than, than the other two one um, nil victories. He was obviously very happy talking about the three clean sheets and that kind of thing. But once you found a player out. Once you find a manager out, it's a bit like finding a player out because you know exactly what the problem is, um, and you can just do the same thing that's that's worked for other teams when they've beat them. So, um, yeah, he, he did seem relieved as well as brutally honest. There has one hundred percent been a tactical change. We are pressing so much higher up, as you said, Chris, and I think alongside that, McCarthy looks like a better player every single time he gets on the pitch. And I think uh, there's no coincidence between our form improving and him improving. And I think we've probably got. A very, very good player there if he gets fitter. Yeah, interesting you you bring up McCarthy there. Um, I think lots of people have talked about his positive performance. Um, and it is a bit of a lesson for us all, in, in you know, certainly those of us that have been a bit critical of McCarthy, because you know, he hadn't played a huge amount of football, so it shouldn't really be any surprise that you're starting to see the real James McCarthy. Now he's had a run of games, got himself match fit, and just up to the speed... Uh, of Premier League football again. Um, he's a very, very talented player. And I, I'll be honest with you, I, I, was just, I didn't see anything particularly dramatic in him in terms of, of his impact on a game. It just felt like another player who's exactly the same type of player as MacArthur and and Luca and, and sort of didn't offer anything extra like Kayate does. So I, I'll be honest, it was a slightly odd signing for me at the time, but I've been proven very, very hasty in that judgment by his recent performances. He has that level of tenacity and energy that, that Roy demands of, of any player, but also a very, very talented footballer. And just He's just increased that edge, and that's something we, we desperately needed. 
And he's got character. Um, when you have players, when you look at our side right now, in terms of you, you might look at Luca as that captain and that character. But when Luca's out the side, I have faith in McCarthy to go out there when he needs to and make sure that the opponents know that we're not going to fall around. I mean, you see it in yesterday's game, uh, not yesterday's game, depends on when you're listening, I do this every podcast, but um, you see it in the Watford game where there was moments where the referee, we'll talk about him later, but he had no control over the game and McCarthy would go up to the Watford players and he would tell them as it is. And sometimes you need players like that because other players around the pitch can look up to him and be like, all right, let's get on with this. And that's what I've been mainly surprised about McCarthy because previously, I'm, I know that he was a good footballer before his injury, but I didn't know that he had this character side of thing. And I feel like it's a bit underrated um, at times what we see on the pitch. Well, yeah, it's that. And you're right, it does kind of inspire other players to do similar. I mean, the backing that Wilf got during the game was noticeable. You know, Kuate picking up a booking just for defending Wilf, but the players absolutely surrounding the situation and protecting him. And that's something we were crying out for early in the season. And, and McCarthy's been a, a bit of a big part of that. Uh, and obviously, we're on the subject of McCarthy, and that's one of the the, the topics that our, uh, our voice clip caller, Ebo, uh, talks about. So let's hear from Ebo now, and we'll come back and uh, give us give you our views on that. Hi, right, Ernest. It's Ebo here. Um, yeah, just got back from the game. Uh, great win. Another 1-0 win. Another clean sheet. Another IU goal. Superb. Always good to get one over on Watford. Um, they always bug me uh, with their shit houseery and all that. Um, so it was good to give as good as we got today. I thought uh, my man of the match was McCarthy. I thought he he really did lead by example and did give as good as he got. Hard tackling, got in their faces, spoke you know did, did spoke to the ref like Deeney always does. Just brilliant. Just broke things up. Thought he had a really good game. I mean, there were some really good performances out there anyway. I thought both Dan and uh, Kale at the back were superb. I made a couple of really good saves that kept us uh, 1-0 up. IU's finish was lovely. Benteke had a pretty de- decent game, especially that bit in the corner at the end between him and IU. That was good to see. Usually they end up coming back and biting us on the arse as we give the ball away and let them have an attack in the last dying minutes. But, uh, yeah... Just a shame he kept getting caught offside all the time. He needs to work on that. I think he's getting a bit worse than Bruce Dyer. Um, other than that, I think, yeah, good performance. Brilliant to uh, get three wins on the bounce, especially keeping the clean sheet. So there you go. More praise for McCarthy there from Ebo, and rightly so. Um, but I think, that you know, again, he's picking out things that you have, DR, in the sense that, you know, McCarthy led by example and got in the face of the referee. Um, and I think let's let's talk about the referee now because I think it's a good opportunity from to, to look at that. I think it was a, a very very poor performance from him. I, I think it's interesting when you sort of check out your opposition's websites and stuff and their and their comments on social media and they're criticising the ref almost well as much as we were. Um, in particular, their attention will was on. The, the Zaha incidents, which we'll talk to talk about in a bit more detail. But in a, in a general sense, I can't really remember a referee losing quite that much control of the game. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know why it was. I think one of the really clear problems was he seemed to have a massive disliking for Zaha and booked him for a, for a nothing challenge. I think purely just because there was a little bit of contact in terms of the arm. But you know, so it looked like maybe he pulled him back and there's sometimes that seems to be an automatic yellow. But 
just generally speaking, he didn't have any idea, any consistency in his decisions. I think he wound both teams up. You remember last week I called Martin Nackerson a gentleman. Um, <laughs> a fine gentleman. I just wanted, a fine gentleman. Yeah. yeah, and this week I just have to I can't hold it back. I mean, you can bleep this if you want, but Anton Taylor's a c- Um, There's no... Oh. I, 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 I have to just say it because... I was so, if you saw my face yesterday, I was so amazed by the inconsistency that I, I couldn't believe it. I just, when we, when the game finished yesterday, I said we didn't beat Watford, we beat the referee because the agenda was crazy. I mean, there were so many fouls where Watford got away with it, but then you look at Will's situation, you're like, that's yellow, but the, the Kyoto challenge is in the yellow, as you said. It was just, it was embarrassing and it was like, what on earth am I watching? It just spoiled the game in a way. Thankfully, we managed to win the game. But let's say we lost the game. I would be absolutely furious. The officiating was just ridiculous from the start to the end. I mean, you can't be that bad in the Premier League. So he's gone from gentleman to the C-bomb in a week. I can't believe it. I mean, that's, that, that is impressive. DR. But I have to agree, he was awful. Absolutely shocking. And he has a clear bias against... Will Flair and he, he, you know, he, he did lose control. Everyone knows that game is going to be niggly. They're going to be at our players, you know, from from what Kapui did a couple of years ago, and still, still he did nothing about it. So yeah, really poor performance from the ref. I, I've said this before when people have said about a, a bias against the heart. I, I really don't think that it's a referee bias. It's fully not understanding the game that they're re- officiating and, and not understanding Zaha's skill set. Um, and this was just another example of the, of somebody just absolutely incapable of knowing what to do in situations where Zaha's presented him with something he's just not used to seeing. I think that's very true. And I also think that, you know, part of it is in a game like that, you've got to have a strong referee. So you've got to have a referee that's able to stand up to the, the kind of attitude that you, you've got from Watford. You know, you'd like to see someone like that as a professional to have actually taken the time to to potentially look at the, the both sets of players and how they've interacted before, you know, to look at that history. If you if you had a referee who'd looked at the history of what, you know, Kapuwe's done to Zaha in the past, you know, that's a, a situation you would be watching quite closely to make sure that these things that are happening off the ball and, now, after after a pass has been made and that kind of stuff, just don't go on. That's the protection you need. And I was baffled to see a Watford fan talk about Zaha being the most protected player in the Premier League. You know, when when I feel quite understandably, I will have some degree of bias, but you know, he's one of the least protected players in the Premier League. There's a discussion that oh, he spat at a Brighton player last week. He didn't. <laughs> you know, he didn't. He spat towards the floor in front of some Brighton fans and their subs, but he didn't spit at a player. But it's the kind of stuff that gets repeated and then suddenly becomes accepted fact amongst opposition fans. You know, perhaps in in a sense, if I was an opposing fan, I would look at the things that he does and be wound up by them and react the way they do. But most of it comes from utter fallacies of things that have never happened. Um, and the fact that the players are, are piling in on that is really disgusting. And, and Watford in particular, you know, when Wilf get, gets knocked as he was sort of running um, past a player and, you know, there's not a huge amount of contact, but there's enough contact for him to fall to the floor. And you've got 
the you know opposing team's professionals running to the referee and saying it's a dive, it's a dive, you've got to send him off, and it's you know it's so so depressing to watch. You know, the phrase is the game's gone, isn't it? And I think that's that's how I feel about that. Anyway, let, let's crack on with this. One of the topics I want to bring up um, pr- prior to the uh, the match and also the, the Brighton match as well. Um, I gave my my expected lineup slash hopeful lineup. And in both games, I, I brought Luca back into the side and, and people questioned it. And there's this general consensus among a, a large proportion of the fan base now that Luca's not had a great season and doesn't deserve his place in the side and he's poor. And in particular, lots of people talking about him giving the ball away too much, wasting possession. In, you know, we've had those comment conversations in our back of the nest private chats where I think Nick in particular has said, oh, he just constantly gives the ball away and all this kind of stuff. So I thought I'd do a little bit of a statistical exercise and just look solely at the passing statistics of our midfield. And I and I went as far as I possibly could on this. So I, I started with Luca, but I'm I'm gonna sort of go in reverse order here. So Gyro Riedeveld. Not played a lot in midfield, but I thought I'd include him anyway, given that he is a midfield option. So his passing stats, and I've just gone with passes per game and a percentage to give a little bit of a flavour. So 73.7% accuracy and roughly 26 passes per game on average. So, you know, not not too bad. Gives away the ball just over 25% of the time. So fairly impressive. So next, but but the, the weakest of all the midfielders that have played. Next up for that is James McCarthy with 76% from an average of 21 per game. Obviously, that's skewed by the minutes he's played a little bit. So you'd expect him to probably play more passes if he was playing more full games. But again, a 76% rate of success. Next up is Macca number one, James McArthur, 77.8, 38 per game on average, which is probably, this is probably the best comparison with Luca. For some reason, I've I've forgotten um, Kayate, so I'm going to have to do that as, as I talk. But I also included Max Mayer in there, another one who obviously does suffer from the fact that he hasn't played much football and, and therefore his statistics are slightly skewed, but just under 78% accuracy um, on nearly 12 passes per match. Again, like I say, reflects that the, uh, the lack of football he's played. So Kayate, uh, 74.1%. And that's the weakest in terms of pass percentage, uh, averaging just un- just over 20, 24 per game. So let's get into the crux of what I'm talking about here. Luka Milivojevic, pass- passing accuracy is 81.5%, comfortably the highest of any of the midfielders that we play, and comfortably passes more than any other midfielder that plays, 49.2 passes per game. So purely on that basis, on the fact that lots of people's complaints about Luca seem to revolve around him giving the ball away too much, I'm saying statistically that is proven incorrect. And I, and I bring this up purely because, particularly in the first half, we gave the ball away a tremendous amount. And in particular, the opening 25 minutes was terrible. Thoughts? I would say look at the eye test as well. Um, I mean, you have to... The stats are nice, of course. Um, he is the... Is the best according to stats, he's the best passer in our team this season. But overall, his his game hasn't been the same that we've seen previously. It has dropped off, and even yesterday, I mean, the main problem that we had with passing was McArthur, who was in Lucas' role yesterday. So fair enough. I mean, maybe if Lucas started the game, it might have been better. But overall, as the game went on, them errors did did go down as well in terms of McArthur, and it was just a one game with Luca. 
it seems like it's been more than one game. It's been so he's been so inconsistent that he might have a good game, then he has two or three bad games, and then he has a good game. Yesterday he came off the bench. I thought he'd done pretty well in terms of um his passing then. However, I don't know if he should if he should still start. I mean, for me, you don't change that midfield. You don't change a team, first of all, that's won three games in a row and got three clean sheets. But you don't change a midfield that has been doing well in space of him. So I, don't, I, I still feel like, yeah, that's nice and all, but he doesn't start for me um, because he has been dropped many times and yet again, he comes back as the same player. So maybe some performance off the bench, then he might start. But for now, no. I've got to start my point by saying that I, I love Luca. Um, but I feel it's a, a perception thing for two reasons. One, um, I don't think it's necessarily I've heard people say that he loses the ball a lot. I've heard them say that he passes it sideways, backwards and slows down moves. I don't know if that's the case or not, but um, you know, once it's in people's heads, um, they stick to it. But more than that, we, when we were on a bad run, um, the, the talk of Hodgson and the purely defensive midfielders um, you know, Luca got the blame um, to a large extent, and and obviously we've still got three defensive midfielders. But because we've been winning, he's now he's the sort of personification of the of the time when we were uh, three defensive midfielders and losing. So um, he's he's sort of just a victim of circumstances as much as as much as anything else. I think. Yeah, I think that's touching on the point that I'm I'm trying to make. Um, it's not that I think we should change the midfield necessarily. And I, I think, you know, DR's made the point a couple of times this show already that you don't change a winning team uh, unless you have to really. So he, he might have to bide his time to get back in. I mean, first up, I, I rate him very, very highly. And I, I struggle with the level of criticism that's been leveled at him because, you know, I think if, if anything, the in particular the first half against Watford does illustrate that the, the issue around finding options for a pass isn't, unique to Luca, uh, and in fact he seems to do a very good job with it uh, given his statistics I think it shows that unless the movement's there um, anyone is going to struggle to to find the pass and you know Roy was quite open about MacArthur praised him massively and said you know what a, what a great runner he is he never puts in less than 100% and he doesn't let it bug him if he's having a poor game but he identified him as having a poor game and I think that's absolutely right and then as Diaz quite rightly observed, he was really mostly playing the Luca role, which shows you again that it's a very difficult role within that team. And finally, probably on the last point on this is that I think the the sort of frustration at Luca is skewed by the fact that he is the set piece taker. And let's face it, at times those set pieces haven't been great. And I think he came on the pitch um, against Watford, and the first set piece he took was awful. So, And that kind of just gives that validation to any negative views that exist. But what I'm trying to say realistically is that that I think Luke has taken way too much stick. And whilst I'm not necessarily advocating a change to bring him back, I think he de- deserves a little bit more respect um, than he's currently getting um, and that he's still a fantastic footballer. And I don't think it'll be too long before he is back in that midfield, um, marshalling the, the, the whole three. Um, personally, I just hope it's not Coyote that drops out because I think he just gives us something different. Let's chat about the goal. Fantastic move. I, you know, I was getting depressed at the time watching it, thinking we are really struggling here. And if, if they start to get their confidence up, we could uh, we could be on the end of another disappointing defeat. Um, but we held resolute and we just took an opportunity brilliantly. It was MacArthur that just got off the back of uh, trying to do a couple of spins in bad areas and giving the ball away and putting us under pressure. 
They picked up the ball very, very deep without having anyone too close to him to put him under pressure and picked out a fantastic pass up to Benteke on the halfway line. Benteke doing what he's been doing in the last couple of games. Lovely turn. Notice the defender was going one side of him without having to look. That's playing on instinct. That's a confident player. And that's what we like to see. Span away and then just driving run. You can't imagine him, the Benteke of recent times, doing that. But we saw it against Brighton. We saw it again against Watford. Driving run, fantastically weighted ball into Zaha. Wilf doing what he likes to do, which is try and put that ball low and hard and potentially through the legs of the defender. Made it this time into Benteke, who had continued on his run. Lovely little knock back to MacArthur, who'd run the length of the pitch to get involved. Lovely shift to Ayu, and then it's all about the finish from Jordan Ayu. Shift to the right and puts it between the two defenders, absolutely hammers it, and a beautiful sound as it's smashed into the net. Fantastic goal. It was absolutely brilliant, and my love for the Ghanaian Prince just keeps on growing. I think not as much as Mike's, but but it is growing uh, considerably. Ayu's been excellent, and the thing about Ayu is, for me, is if he has time with the ball, then if you notice in front of goal, he tends to miss it's when he when he's acting by reaction or when he when he hasn't got much time and he produces those moments of magic like that against West Ham and and um, yesterday or, or the game uh, against Watford. I think it wasn't necessarily the finish that was excellent for me. It was his footwork to create the space for the finish. And I have to say again, Benteke was absolutely brilliant. And I don't care. And I don't care if I get slated for this. I don't care if Benteke doesn't score a single goal next season. If he plays every game like that, he'll create so many more goals. I think he's been excellent the last three games. We're talking about Mike's love for Jordan Ayew. He posted a very troubling picture on Twitter um, of Jordan Ayew from the football account, Footballers with Tits. And I, yeah, can't unsee it. Look, let's let's be honest here. Um, it's a niche market, but if you, want a, if you want a mug with a picture of Jordan Ayew, with some bare breasts, uh, it's 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 up there, and it's got that that site has twelve thousand followers. So uh, that's all I'm saying. I'll, I'll just put it out there. There was another troubling post as well from uh, from a lad called George, who, if you're a Twitter Palace regular, have probably come across um, the picture of uh, IU doing a, a slight a knee slide after after the goal with his with his mouth up in the air. Looked like he was perhaps uh, the recipient from some water sports pornography. Uh, George <laughs> posted to say, uh, <clears throat> that's what I would do if I was pissing in my mouth or something like that. Uh, absolutely horrible. Way worse than the footballers with tits post. So, um, you know, I'm just saying I'm, I'm not the worst thing out there this weekend. No, 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 absolutely not. Um, Nav went a bit more... Um, mainstream with a picture of Jordan Ayew eating a mutton roll, which um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, it would be an opportunity for me to point out that um, ahead of the Brighton game, Nav and I travelled a combined total of about 120 miles to eat mutton rolls to ensure that we won that match. So I didn't take credit in the last show, but I think we should take credit in this show. Uh, and Nav actually had mutton rolls prior to the Watford win, so he takes full credit himself. Um, for this week so well done Nav thanks mate for doing your bit um, I think it's a good opportunity now so obviously to talk about some of the performances we've talked about Anthony Taylor's performance but I'd like to talk about Wilfred Zaha we've touched on it a little bit um, so let's get into a bit more detail about the um, well what was looked at in terms of VAR um, so first of all he had got a, an undeserved yellow as we talked about already but 
there was a uh, the challenge from Kapure on him was was poor, um, and the immediate intent was to try and wind wind him up into a reaction. Did really well not to immediately react. Plenty of Palace players around him, but you get that moment and. I don't know. I just don't really understand why people think that Zaha could should have been punished. I think he could have been punished for his reaction to Kapuwe putting his head into him. But I, I, I'm, I don't. You don't get to find out exactly whether VAR are looking at Zaha for a potential red, or whether they're looking at Kapuwe for a potential red. Potential red. But um, I mean, views on that. Oh, Dr. You, you want to jump in? Can we say that Kupure didn't get a yellow card for that challenge until he Kuyate had to literally fight him for both of them to get a yellow card? I mean, that's how crazy that game was. Kupure, as you said, deliberately, um, that challenge was done deliberately. And yeah, he still didn't get a card, which baffles me. But in terms of VAR, I think what's interesting, I'm watching the game against City versus United as well. It seems like they have slightly... Um, how do you say it, shorten the amount of time they spend watching things to look at all the small things. It's like, if it's clear and obvious, I feel like they've realised that it will happen immediately. And VAR happened so instantly that we didn't really have to wait. So I guess they didn't really see anything out of it, which is a positive. And it's been a positive for for VAR as well, because we've said that it slowed the game down. But nowadays, it seems like they're hurrying up with their decisions and they're going more towards the clear and obvious side of things rather than looking for every small thing, which was good. I mean, you you still got the difficult situation where I mean they they did they did look for it as serious foul play as a red, but essentially in most of those situations they they wouldn't be looking. So um, and, unless somebody had had the inclination that it was serious foul play, he wouldn't have been called up to to look at it in the first place. So that suggests to me that there was immediate um, doubt about whether he'd he'd committed serious foul play. So to then end up with nothing, not even a yellow, seems extremely odd and and you're right he would have got away with nothing had he not argued with Kuate who you know is the kind of man you've got to do something pretty massive to annoy um so yeah I mean Kapu what for the way this season was one of the most depressing games I've been to um and I you know what it was the only thing that made me glad I wasn't there um at Celeste because I think I would have been very angry Kapu annoys me probably equally as much as he annoys Zaha. And I can't blame Zaha at all for wanting to tear his face off, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I said on uh, on Twitter, I'll repeat myself on it, because I remember when Etienne Capua used to be a footballer and he just isn't that anymore, is he? He just he seems to stroll around the pitch at a fairly slow pace, just looking for ways of winding people up. And I think that's, you know, if Watford want to look at why they didn't do better in that game, they should probably look at the amount of attention and effort they put into, should we say, the dark arts of the game rather than actually playing football. And um, it's, that makes the win all the sweeter. Just some general play discussion on of Wilf, if we can. So a couple of chances for him. Um, he had one where he was putting down the left, ran into the area, lovely chop back, really quick feet, and just had that. He just couldn't quite get round it to put it the, the far side of the keeper. Ended up trying to go through his legs and, uh, and rebounded off his knee. But, that, you know, that was a great chance. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up because it made me wonder whether the the past, I don't know, say a couple of months, I'm, I'm putting out the air, has Sahar's finishing uh, declined a bit? Because I feel like he would have put that chance away last season. Um, I, not to say that he's been playing any less well. I just wonder if it's a confidence thing. 
But um, that seems like he's hit the keeper a fair few times in the last couple of months. Yeah, I think he's he's focusing on on the strike to a degree, isn't he? Um, but I think part of that was getting the ball out of his feet. But against Brighton, he, he went with the outside of the right foot for and, and hit the post. And here he's gone with the right foot again. And you just go back to the the Brighton home game, where he scored the equaliser and just smashed it in with the left foot. I think perhaps that's you know, it's where you know we talked about it earlier on. It wasn't quite instinctive. It, it's you know a lot a bit too much thought gone into it. He's tried to get it onto his stronger foot, where sometimes you just have to you know, hit the ball quickly and instinctively and you've got more of a chance of scoring. And also another thing to consider is that now he's actually getting the chances in front of goal because it seems like when you're looking at the season as a whole, especially towards the start of the season, he didn't really get the chances in front of goal. He would normally have the ball out wide and then somehow lose it or pass to someone else and then they will get dispossessed. But now that we have Ben Teke up there, I feel like he's helped Wilf a lot in terms of him actually being able to go in front of goal. So I feel like more chances like that... Um, that he gets um, over time, he, he will be scoring goals. Um, I just feel like he just hasn't had the consistency this season in front of goal for him to be finishing them. But you can look at it the other way and you can say that, well, if you're a good player, if you're worth 60, 70 million, you have to be finishing them regardless of how many chances you get throughout the season. But I guess it depends on how you look at it. I think you're right. Um, in, in Certainly in the, in the first part of what you said, um, and, and I particularly agree with the fact that He's benefiting from from playing with Benteke, as is Jordan Ayew. I think that front three are getting better with every game, starting to be a bit more instinctive. And it's really noticeable that we've got Zaha and Ayew swapping wings on occasions as well. I always love to see that. It's something I've bleated on about on this show for years. Well, I just like that little shift every now and then to, to give the opposite fullbacks a bit of a run um, facing Wilf. Um, and it also means that because of that movement, Wilf and, and Jordan Ayew are finding themselves in central positions much more often, whereas you've not got one one player in the centre and two out wide. You've got you've often got three in the middle when we're when we're overlapping and things like that, and that makes a huge difference as well. And that can only happen with the midfield pushing up that little bit higher with this newer sort of higher pressing approach that we're taking. So these are all real positive things. And whilst I totally get what you're saying in terms of Zaha's finishing, Mike, I think generally speaking, people have been way too critical of Zaha in general, um, and and a lot more positivity of his performance against Watford. I don't think his levels have dropped that much, frankly. Um, but it certainly was a was a good game, and a you know he was he was well up for it, and, and has been for you know for the last couple of games in particular, and and long may that continue. I can't bring this to a close in terms of the match review without talking about the Thente Guaita's saves, uh, particularly the one from Dini from long range was an absolute stunning save. Um, tipped to the Kure header further wide, didn't know it was going to go wide anyway, so absolutely had to make that. And the reactions and, and reach for that save were superb. But going back to the Dini strike, I mean, what really struck me to that was just how high he got jumping. It, it You know, you think initially that strike's a bit central and you'd expect the keeper to save it, but it's been hit with a lot of power. It's swerving. And he's just absolutely launched off his feet to tip that over and, what a keeper! He's he's absolutely sensational, and and it's as good as having a, you know, fifteen goal a season striker up the other end to have a, a goalkeeper like him. That's exactly what I was going to say, Chris. That was as good as a goal that save. It was absolutely top quality. And if you look at the Palace TV page and they've got the the all angles on the save, he's he's actually moving to save the shot before the shot's even left Digny's foot. He's anticipated where it's going to go, and that's how I think how he managed to get so high quality save. And for me. 
that's why I would have voted for him over Jules. He's, he's just a different class. Absolutely right. Now, Mike, you've talked about the man of the match poll already. Um, obviously, you've hinted at the fact that I felt the man of the match was Jake Coyote. Because um, I have to say, I've always been a fan of his. Because, as I've said many, many times, I just think he's, he's a different type of central midfielder to everyone else we've got. He just offers different things. Naturally a box-to-box player, fantastic defensively. His anticipation is brilliant. Um, and, and, you know, his commitment to a challenge is superb. And it was extremely satisfying to see him knock the ball away uh, from Will Hughes, it was. And Will Hughes ended up doing an air shot just because he got that little toe end in. But I thought for the full 90 minutes, his performance was absolutely outstanding. That's another reason why I was really annoyed I wasn't there because the the role of our midfielders are so box-to-box and you're at the mercy of the camera people that you just you can't actually tell how great a game Kuarte and McCarthy have half the time. That's why it's weird that you get sort of Man United fans that have maybe been to Old Trafford once for a stadium tour thinking they know everything about everything because you, you can't actually watch them in the same way. Um, and I'm sure Kuarte was absolutely amazing and maybe, maybe it's worth DR sort of saying more about how it was in the stadium. Yeah, he was. I, it dep- I feel the opposite way. I feel like it's harder to watch the games at the ground in a way. It, it might be because of where I sit, but I, f- I find it easier because when you're watching at home, you've got that camera angle where you can see more about where it, all players are. Um, but in terms of in the stadium, how I thought Kyoto play, um, in general, I feel like Kyoto plays well with it, depending on who is next to him. I don't think he's a midfielder who can hold it down himself, but he's very good when you have players like McCarthy and McCarthy next to him because he has that free role and he can go up and down. And his strength at times, um, you look at Kapue, he's more, as Hambo said, Kapue hasn't been playing football um, as of late. He just is there for a fight. And Kyoto reminds me of Kapue, who's actually trying to play football in a way where he will go and he will get them challenges. But going forward, he will be the option there to make sure that if there isn't a pass, he will be there available. So overall, yesterday, I thought he had a good game, um, but he wasn't the best midfielder, in my opinion. Um, I feel like McCarthy did play better than him. But yeah, um, he's a he's a underrated player at times for our team. Any more comments on the man of the match stuff? I don't know, Sai, if you've had an opportunity to say who you thought yours was. I would have gone for Vicente uh, Guaita. I think his saves were awesome. And generally, I think just for the video at the end of the match, that if you see it again with Chris Grierson, I would have gone for that, just for that. But no, yeah, I think we could have we could have ended up losing 2-1. There was the one in the first half as well, when um, we made a bit of a hash of it at the back. So I would have gone Vicente, if I could only say his name. See... I've got. To, I've got to confess. I can't watch Guaita's post-match interviews. Um, it's not that he's, he's he's doing much much better with his English, right? But I just find it really uncomfortable. I can watch clips of him where you know, where you sort of capture certain moments. But when he's trying to sit, you know, stand there and, and talk about the game. You know, because he's got stock phrases. It's not criticism. I I can't speak Spanish, so you know I can't. I'm not I'm not in a position to criticize his English. But I find it just it's a little bit like when I try to well when I have repeatedly watched um, the the Office sort of UK version of the Office, obviously, and it's just so cringe, makes me cringe so much that even though it's one of my favourite things ever, I occasionally have to pause it and walk away just to sort of calm down. 
But um, that's how I feel about Guaita's post-match interviews. Wait. Probably just me. Wait, UK version of The Office. Ain't the US version better? I mean, I don't know if this is the her forum to discuss that. I, I absolutely love both, to be honest with you. And I have no time for anyone, Albert, who says that they that the US version is not worth watching and it's just a weak... He feels it's a weak imitation. But it is for the first three episodes, to be fair, but then it's incredible. But um, I think perhaps, uh, should we have a, a TV and film podcast as well, do you reckon? Maybe. We can do everything. <laughs> I mean, I want—I definitely want your views on some popular TV shows. I can imagine they're um, interesting to say the least. Yeah, but we can have the views of the listeners as well now. See that transition? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, well done, mate. You're, you're a pro. Fintons. Mm. Okay, it's Q&A time. Over to you, Mike. Yeah, ton of uh, comments from you all, as usual. Uh, we've read them all, we've discussed them all. So the ones we haven't mentioned, that doesn't mean they were any less interesting or we didn't discuss them any less on our WhatsApp chats. It's just we can't fit them all in and some of them we've already talked about. Um, a few other things before we get on to actual comments, though. Uh, Terence of the Preview Pod uh, posted that after yesterday's game, he was considering... Uh, calling his daughter, who is to be born shortly, Jordan. Um, his wife is not happy. Jordan Ayu himself replied with a couple of laughing, crying emojis. So surely now we're going to have Jordan Ford. That's excellent, excellent news. Heskiff wanted to discuss his, and I quote, white hot rage at what a prick Kapua is. And I feel, Heskiff, that we've done that. Um, I've, got, I've got to say, though, as well, I mean... You know, he's, a, he's an angry man, is Heskiff, in general, but but the, the idea of white-hot rage on his face, um, I don't know, Mike, do you find it slightly arousing? I just, yeah, I just think of uh, Randy from South Park and that meme, um, yes. <laughs> um, we've got to also discuss the fact that PVA tweeted yesterday, I'm not sure what I think about this, um, how does everyone feel about Europe? Um, Nick of this parish has said, look, I've, I've seen Palace fans mention Europe again, please tell them to stop. We know what happens. Obviously, earlier in the season when we talked about it, we went on a, a run of about two points in about 28 games. So, yes, perhaps PVA, let's talk about it after another three wins, maybe. But let's also remember that this season, there's a good eight teams that are absolutely cane in it. And um, we'd have to do something pretty special to end up above Sheffield United, let alone the other sides. Um, let's discuss Harry the Hornets' life being in danger. Um no, I wasn't sure what they were talking about. Um, what he said that um, the club had put his life in danger. Um, and it turns out what had happened is they put up a video um, of, you know, showing him not in his Harry the Hornet mask. Now, I find that quite weird uh, because he, he tweets uh, from his own account with his face on there, happily saying that he's Harry the Hornet. So it seems to me like the information's already out there, Harry. Um so I'm not sure your life was in danger. Um, and the only reason anyone would want to cause you any pain is because of what you do in everyday life. Um, so, you know, it's kind of your own fault, isn't it, you prick? Um, now, this one's this one is Hambo, coronavirus, Roy. I'll, I'll hand that over to you. Yeah, no, I, I do want to quickly return to Harry the Hornet as well. Um, Gareth Evans is his, his full name, um, just in case anyone wasn't entirely sure. 
uh, at one H H Hornet on Twitter. Um, the guy is an utter fuck nugget, isn't he? Let's face it. I mean, you know, you dress as a giant wasp, you behave like a cock, and then you cry because your team. What 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 safety issue is it? I mean, I just I just want you know he deserves a slap now. You know, he was fine. The fact that he exists and has to dress as a wasp, that's enough for me, you know, prior to now. He has to live with being that person, look in the mirror every morning and, and see what he actually is. But now he's crying on Twitter. It's just like, you think, what What else? What do you want? What do you want, Gareth? What is it you want in life? Fuck you. I, I'm with Chris. I have heard a rumour that, you know, his safety was put at risk so much that he is now living in protective custody in Scunthorpe. So I don't know if that's true, but um, yeah, he's, he's an idiot, an absolute idiot. And, and I think I, I work with someone who used to be the uh, fox at Leicester City in terms of mascots, and they're completely normal. So it must just be the guy who dresses as a wasp is a bit of a knob. Yeah, you don't get Pete and Alice winding up opposition fans and, you know, players, do you? You know, no one's no one's threatening Pete and Alice. I mean, oh, dear, oh, dear. It's so funny we're talking about mascots. <laughs> <laughs> we're comparing mascots to each other. Oh wait, the lesser fox ain't this bad. Oh, like no, I thought he quit anyway after being, you know, a dick previously, but obviously he didn't. There you go. Anyway, sorry. My condolences to the people of Scunthorpe. Um, yeah, I wasn't going to actually give him the oxygen of publicity, but fair enough. Um, yeah, there's there was plenty of salty Watford fans on on Twitter as well. Um, not least, we've we've retweeted a video from um, a fan that was at the ground. Um, it was weird. He, he was. I'm not sure if he was a 12 year old boy or a 38 year old woman. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a worrying lack of facial hair. Either way, um, you know, saying. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't mention what coronavirus row was. It was just if we had time, which we probably don't anymore, to talk about the fact that. You know, Roy might end up being banned from Sellers Park because he's over seventy years old, um, and has kind of said, "Well, if that's the case, I, I'll I'll be banned, I guess." Um, but talked about the fact that he feels well protected and in perfectly good health uh, up at Palace. So, you know, it'd be a, it'd be a weird one, wouldn't it? Let's face it. I mean, it would it would definitely be a first. Um, Nick and Patrick obviously worried as well. Um, yes, no, that that's a, that's a real issue, and we'll keep you up to date on it. Um, yeah, so the, the salty Watford fan put out a video we've retweeted. Um, he was absolutely disgusted that uh, Palace fans apparently made no noise whatsoever until the point where we scored. Um, I, I mean, when you're standing next to the family stand and even the family stand out shout you, um, it's not surprising uh, that you're probably a little bit angry. Um, but yes, we will continue through the week retweeting angry Watford fans as we've done for the past few days retweeting angry Brighton fans we can carry on with that as well because they they never go out without um without shouting quite loudly so let's get to the feedback from people um so Henny the Knight um come up with a good question so if Gary Cahill being captain is the reason we've won the past three games um you know do do we keep him as captain um even if Luke is back what, what do people think about that I think we we talked about it a little bit um, after the Brighton game. I think where you, I, as I said before, I don't think you need to change the club captain to to have Gary Cahill in your side as a leader. I don't think it's going to change how Gary Cahill behaves. 
Um, and most of the players, when they've been talking about Luca as club captain, including Gary Cahill, have talked about that he's a fantastic club captain. Um, you know, motivates the team, does loads of stuff off the pitch. You know, as as a captain has to do. Uh, and generally is well respected as a leader. So I think a lot of people put too much emphasis on who's wearing an armband rather than the fact that you've, you know, the more leaders you've got in a squad, um, the better that squad tends to perform. Um, and something that uh, that Dougie Friedman told us in an interview a few years back, which, um, which very much stands to reason. Yeah, I mean, people are very quick to want to work out what to keep the same next week to make sure that we that we win another game. But but perhaps I think Hambo's probably right in this, in that it, it could still remain the same. In that I can't see Lucas starting anyway, so um, I'm sure Cahill will carry on being captain as and as as he will until Luca comes back in the side. Um, Gary Gary. T123 on Twitter said, uh, still people suggest that Benteke isn't up to it. The goals haven't come, but without him, we wouldn't have picked up half as many points. The easy option to slate him, question mark. Maybe, Sai, I mean, you alluded to how much you love Benteke, so maybe answer this one. I think absolutely right. I don't understand. There is certainly members of this parish as well who just, regardless of what Benteke does, want him gone because he doesn't bang in the goals and that's what he's there for. But he contributes more than... I think any other forward player on the pitch to holding the ball up and to um, bring other players in. And, and as Chris said, his sort of driving forward runs remind me of the day when he pinched the ball off Dan a few years back and scored for Villa against us. He is definitely coming back to form. And for me, he does so much on and off the ball that we, we, we can't afford him not to be in the team. I think even if we had Tosin back in the squad. Just to back Sai up, Benteke was involved in 60% of our um, Crystal Palace's 10 shots in this match, um, two shots and four chances created. So it put, it, you know, it, the stats do add up as well. But unlike Sai, I, I still have a high expectation for Benteke. And hopefully he does end up scoring a couple of goals because he's creating the chances. But if he ends up scoring the goals, and that's pretty much talking about old Benteke. So things are looking good. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think what's interesting, I mean, first of all, looking at the stats from the game, it was only Gary Cahill that was close to winning the same number of aerial duels as Christian Benteke. And Benteke, at his absolute best, is dominant in the air. And we'd even seen that drop off in his in his performances of late. Um, when I say of late, I mean prior to the last few games where he's got himself back in the side and seems to be playing with some confidence. You know, the overhead kick is, is only just wide in, in the Watford game. And we've seen him attempt that a couple of times in a Palace shirt and go quite close. But, you know, that that for me is always a really good sign that his confidence is up. But the more he can contribute, um, I think it also in the stats, four key passes in the game, which was, I think everybody else at most got one key pass in that match. So, you know, we got, well, the, you know, the suggestion that he plays the number 10 role came up in this um, in this podcast and, and on social media fairly recently and whilst I poured a bit of scorn on that and a few other people did as well you know he's showing his value leading the line coming deep and being that sort of creative force you know his weight of pass and his awareness of the players around him is is excellent at the moment you know and you can see in his demeanor that he is becoming somewhere close to to you know fully confident and a fully confident Benteke will score goals if we give him service and that's possibly the one thing I'd just like us to dial up a little bit. In everything that we've done of late, that's been really, really good. We're still not quite getting enough crosses in the air for him to challenge. 
Um, if you, you know, you only need three or four a game, and he's going to get one of those headers on target. I think, you know, that, so if we can sort of maybe dial that up, we'll see even more from Benteke. I can't remember who it was, but someone on Talksport that had um, been at a club he had been at before. I don't know if it was Villa, um, saying that he's a man that that really has to be loved, um, and his performances totally depend on the perception of him by his colleagues and the fans. And and at the moment, everyone loves him so. I think that's going to bring out the best of him. Uh, King Vagabond, HOL, a very interesting Twitter handle, with perhaps the question of the week. If it would, it, would it be the most Palace thing ever if we get into Europe just for the competition to be axed due to A, a European Super League that Liverpool starts, or B, coronavirus, or C, a European Super League started by Corona that spreads Liverpool the coronavirus? So, yes, it probably would be. We'd end up uh, getting into Europe and then the whole thing being called off. That would be pretty tragic. But, as I say, I really think PBA is getting ahead of himself. There are some very good teams in the top half of the Premier League this season, as much as there's some very poor ones in the bottom half. Uh, and let's end this particular section with a question from John Burr. Thank you, John. Which team would you rather be relegated and the other one stay up out of Brighton and Watford's? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be Brighton to go down under all circumstances every time. But, you know, Watford, I, do, I keep looking at the bottom of the table. Nor- I just love Norwich and Villa just to sort things out so we can at least see Watford, Brighton and West Ham go down. But I also really want Bournemouth to go down. Is there any way we could restructure the Premier League and get rid of all of them, do you think? Um, I don't I- out of them to Brighton, but as you said, I'm I just can't stand West Ham. So <laughs> if there's an option for West Ham, there I'll pick West Ham any day of the week. Them going down would be absolutely brilliant. I'd go for Brighton, and I, I love the commentators on the last day when they get relegated to say they play such lovely football, lovely football. That'd be perfect for me. Well, Villa have got two games in hand, so we'll see. Um, obviously, I want us to beat Bournemouth, but then if Bournemouth can do what they want, um, yeah, I'd put. Watford, West Ham are definitely Brighton in the list of teams I hate much more than Bournemouth. Uh, yes, so there you go, John. Essentially, hopefully, both of them. Right, and we are well over an hour into the show. Hey, Mike, have you done a quiz for the week for this week? I have. It'd be a nice quick one if you want it. Hey, let's do it. Just before we do, just another point in the general direction of the Pitch Sport Football app. Do download it and... Um, Get involved with us on there. Uh, Say so it's a fantastic little app. Um, plenty more to come from it. And they've been really supportive of the show as well. So really appreciate you all signing up for that and uh, and getting involved in the conversation uh, so we can start using some of that data in sh- shaping this show. So the quiz of the week will be Jordan IU based. Has to be really after the last, uh, the last couple of games. Um, he scored a couple of goals. And he's got himself up to nine Palace goals. And um, that's pretty impressive stuff. Obviously, eight this season um, and one last. Um, So I was looking at the table of Palace goal scorers in the Premier League. Um, And he's got himself up to 12th in the all-time list. He's now on par with Yannick Bellassi, Johan Kabay. He's taken over Eddie McGoldrick. Uh, He's taken over Glenn Murray. He's taken over Tompkins. Uh, he's, he's gone past Shamak in the last couple of weeks and he's gone past uh, that known Ford Transit enthusiast, Neil Shipley. Um, but we're going to discuss the, the players that are still above him. So, there are uh, 
seven players in the current squad who've scored more goals in the Premier League um, for Palace than Jordan Ayew. And there are four players that have played for Palace in the past. So want you to go through one at a time and just first of all name the seven players or as many as you can of the seven players who have scored more goals for Palace than IU currently has. Start so with... just, just to check, Premier League. Yep, Premier League only. Start with you, Hambo. Uh, Chris Armstrong. Oh, he's gone straight for what I thought would be the most difficult one. Yeah, so yes, Chris Armstrong, uh, number three, 23 goals. Um, yes, so there's two players that have scored more than him and they're both current players. Dio? Uh, ben, wait, Ben, take a count. He certainly, certainly oh. does. I mean, obviously got 17 in that one season. He's up there in fifth. Sorry. Luka Milovic. Yeah, I, I was actually stunned the amount of goals he scored in the Premier League. He scored 26 goals. Uh, I don't know many, how many of those are from open play, but it's probably about two. So, Hambo. Andrew Johnson. Yes, Andrew Johnson with 21. I thought it was a little bit more than that. So he's below Chris Armstrong in fourth, just above Benteke. Benteke needs two to go above him. Wilf. Wilf's obviously leading the line on 35 goals. And I would imagine probably the Ivory Coast top Premier League scorer. Maybe not. I don't know. Nah, you got Didi a drug one. Oh, he's drunk. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, ignore me. Ignore me. Ignore me. Sorry. James MacArthur? Yes. No one's got any wrong so far. 17 goals for the Scottish International. Shit. You know when you've got one in your head and then the person before you says it and then you have to immediately think of a new one? Well, you've, still got, you've still got three players that are in the current squad and two that are no longer Palace players. Really? Uh, Andros Townsend? Andros Townsend at number 10 with 12 goals. So conceivably IU could catch him up by the end of the season if he carries on staying on the bench. Alright, I'm this this might be wrong, but Patrick Van Arnold? Patrick Van Arnold in at number nine. Thirteen goals. One more than one more than Andros Townsend. So um just looking down the list of what you've named, you've got one more from the current squad and then two that have no longer played for us. So don't disappoint us. <laughs> oh one more from the current squad. Jeffrey uh, um, um, Schlopp? No, it's not Jeffrey Schlopp. Oh. First one to get one wrong, but then again, it's getting hard. I, f- I feel like, that's what she said. I feel like, um, I feel like I want to go for one of the two that aren't currently there, but I also want to ruin it for DR. So I'm going to go with Scott Dan. You are quite right. Scott Dan, 12, equal, equal goals with Andros Townsend. Let's not forget uh, that man did score some crucial goals for us, a couple on his head, etc, etc. So, yeah, there's two two players that are no longer with the club. That have scored more goals than it feels like we've listed everyone. Yeah, they've both scored oh. 15, if that helps. 15 goals. It doesn't help, I'll be honest. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. Sai, you take over. Jason Punchin? Yes, Punch is one of them. Punch is one. It's one more, one more to go. Oh man, this is so fifteen goals in the Premier League. Yep. Fucking hell. Um, before Palace. and 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 I've got to say, unlike all, I would say every other player, um, I don't think there's any other player on this list that 
other than Andros Townsend that scored any for other sides, but this this man has. Glenn Murray? No, Glenn, Glenn, Murray. Glenn Murray was below. I'm yeah, sorry. Uh, wait, eight. your turn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is not this is not a shouting round. This is this is let's sit here for 15 minutes while I think because I can't let it go. This is what this is. 15 goals in the Premier League, but as I say, I, I most of them will not be for Palace. Oh, hang on. So most of the 15 are not for Palace? No. It, it, unlike all the other players other than Andros Townsend. Oh, I thought they were um, all for Palace. So I thought it's got 15. All, every, every other player in this list, all the goals would have been for Palace. Oh, uh, okay. so, Wayne Rowledge? No. Ooh. He's currently still in the Premier League, if that helps. Hmm. In the Premier League? Who on earth played for us that doesn't play for us? Got 15 goals. Oh, that, why is Ben Watson in my head? It can't be It's him. not Ben Watson, though. Yeah, he's, he's, in, he's in the championship. Uh, yeah. Oh. Oh, he's still playing for Watford. Um, I, Si? Um, I'm pondering. Come on, teamwork makes a dream work. So who's in the Premier League that scored 15 goals and not mainly for us? And what? Would you like me Who? to put you out of your misery or hand, Bo? Do you want one more game? Adrian Maria. It's not not known for his goals, no, is not it? Not Yeah, you you'll kick yourself yeah. if I tell you. Ah, uh, we're gonna hit us. Go and hit. Go on. He is a stri- he was a striker for us. He still is. He's at Newcastle. Dwight Gale. Oh, Dwight Gale. Dwight Gale. Oh, he's got fifteen goals in Premier League. Yep, I'll say Dwight. all of one or two for us. I think. Uh, so there you go. So Jordan uh, Ayew could find himself way up that list quite soon. He's catching everyone up. Well, there we go. Hope you did well in that quiz on at home. And I'm wondering how many people are shouting Dwight Gale while listening to it uh, on the, their commute and getting some very, very funny looks. Uh, so, si, just so you know, mate, you've been sitting there with your hand up for a long time. It's really weird. I'm still working out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Anyway, so let's better bring this to an end. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Uh, thank you to Mikey for producing my panel dr mike and Cy. check out the love sports show on wednesday 8 to 9 p.m and obviously download the preview show during the week subscribe rate all those things and we'll catch you again next week the talk sport fan network is proudly teaming up with free for mental health awareness week this year as football fans we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.